I'm Derek Joyce and I'm here with Paul Omwerda and this is I'm Not The Expert But. This is a podcast where we'll discuss everything from the most complex ideas that we know nothing about to the simplest ideas that we probably know nothing about either. So put the kettle on, get comfy and join us. The last time we were here, I was telling you that jellyfish in Spanish it's Medusa. Okay. That's right, Dale. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have two things I want you to remember just in the short term. Right. Turritopsis nutricula. I'm not going to remember that, but yeah. And okay. Turritopsis dorni. Okay? Okay. I'll try. In zoology, the bell form of the jellyfish is known as the medusoid body. That's, that's, right, so that's your standard kind of, yeah, the sort of glob yeah, of... Everybody knows, legendary. you know, the yeah, holding yeah. with their yeah. knee down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Zoology, like that's just a branch of biology that studies the animal kingdom, okay? Yeah. The other form of the jellyfish, not the medusoid bell-shaped form, right. is the polyp. And okay. that's its young form. They usually, as far as I know, they start in two forms. Like they, they grow from polyps into jellyfish. Okay. Then they reproduce. You know, they mature into this medusoid shape. Right, okay. They reproduce and the cycle starts again. So they, they go from polyp into what we know as a jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. Right. What everybody, when they think jellyfish, is yeah. what they think of, what they might see lying on the beach or whatever it is. That okay. if you walk on your own serious Yeah. <laughs> see anemones. Anemone. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> And coral right. are also polyps. Okay. They're, they're in the polyp kingdom. So sea anemones are solitary creatures. Like you'll see them stuck on a rock when you go to the beach. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they wave these things out in the water and they catch the food floating past. Limpets and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, limpets are those shell things yeah. that are stuck. Oh, I don't know. Sorry, I know the things you're talking Yeah, like mad looking. Globule kind yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're solitary. Right. They live on their own. And oh. they'll reproduce by re- releasing stuff into the water. That will then, it's either sperm or an egg, and it will be fertilized, and then it will attach itself to a rock. They're known as sessile creatures. Okay. Which just, and sessile is just science's way of complicating things. It just <laughs> means attached to. Okay. It literally means attached to. Right. Right? So they're basically Klingons, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Coral is a community of polyps. Mm-hmm. They, they branch and they, everybody knows the coral reef and yeah. everybody's seen pictures or videos of it. Yeah. Okay? Actually, Dale, just might be able to help me here. Uh, I've always kind of wondered, is coral a plant or an animal? They're animals. They are animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well... So they, they look like trees and stuff yeah. like that, like, you know. So are you asking me, are they flora or fauna? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. My scientific answer is, I don't know. Okay. I think they're animals. Like, they're, they're, they're of the animal kingdom. Right, yeah. You know, they're, and they're not. Because they look very much like kind of trees. And but but that's the thing, they're a community. Yeah. yeah. It's a community of organisms mm. that just, they they. Are they sentient? Like, that's... You know, is there a sentience or is it... I've never spoken to one that's answered that's <laughs> no, answer well, back. you know what I mean. Do they move? Do they eat? Well, they eat by attracting stuff, catching stuff in the water and, and pulling it in like that same way um, an anemone would. Right, okay, yeah. They release sperm and eggs into the water. Okay, well then they're, yeah. And reproduce that. like that. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah, are yeah, like pretty much kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, okay. That defines them as, as fun as a, you know, as a part yeah. As opposed to sea trees. They kind of look like trees. They have the little branches in them. Yeah, I don't know. So, anyway. Honestly, I don't know. I would I would if I was asked to put a bet, I would say they're animals. Okay. So, I probably so. might lose that bet. I don't know. No, I think you're probably right. It's just a, it's something that's always kinda, you know, puzzled me. You know, are they growing at the bottom of the sea or are they actual well, they're bleaching off and dying now, know, you yeah, know, yeah, with yeah. the whole acidification thing. But yeah, yeah there you go. Pretty sucky. Okay, Turritopsis nutricular and Turritopsis dorni. That's what I asked you to remember. Yeah. In the, in the 1980s, two students collected specimens that they thought were Turritopsis nutricular. 
they're just species of jellyfish that they wanted to do tests on. Right. Okay. So these two biology students, Kristen Summer and Giorgio Bavistrello, I might be saying his name wrong, wanted to study some sexually immature Turritopsis nutricula, sexually immature jellyfish. So jellyfish in their polyp state. They yes. Yeah, they yeah, hadn't yeah. become adults yet. They right. hadn't sexually matured. And yeah, yeah. And being students, they forgot about them. And that's just down to pressure, I assume, because <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. got so much to do. Like, they, they forgot about them. Well, they just kind of left them They left them in the tank that they caught them in, I suppose, and put them in after they'd been caught and, right. and left them there. Okay. And that's not like left them for months and months and months. They might have left them for a week. Right, but they, they were off parking, being students and all that. Yeah, <laughs> but they, they left them. One of the students, Christian Summer, came back to the tank and found that there were polyps on the bottom of the tank. So he thought these inverted commas, sexually immature jellyfish that he caught, this tortoise must have reproduced because there were polyps on the bottom of the tank. And okay. that's, that's the only plausible explanation. Right, okay. So he couldn't explain it. He observed them over the next few days, not doing anything, not feeding them, or um, just, just recreating the circumstances. And the life cycle of a jellyfish goes from planula, which is like a, a cloud of tissue flo flowing through the water, right? Right, okay. It attaches itself to a hard surface like a rock, okay. and it grows into a polyp, and that's a polyp not unlike a sea anemone, okay? From the polyp, they spread off the top. They, it's literally like a little tower, and they pop off the top, and right. they are sexually immature medusa. They're right. tiny, one centimeter by one centimeter jellyfish, right. sexually immature jellyfish that float off through the water, and they do their thing. They grow up, and then they reproduce, and then they die, and then the eggs get fertilized in water and turned into a planula yeah, again, yeah. and the whole thing starts over again. Starts over again. Okay. So what? Almost like the sea equivalent of a butterfly emerging from a crystal. Exactly. That Actually, that's exactly yeah. what it's like. Right, okay. Okay, so he observed these and the sexually immature turritopsis, what he thought was turritopsis nutricula, right. when stressed in its environment, and stressed is like lack of food, um, predator attack. Right. Wrong atmosphere in the water, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, kind of wrong pH or acidity. Yeah, yeah. Skipped the planula stage, which is right. the result of fertilization after a male jellyfish releases right. its eggs. Right. A male jellyfish releases a sperm, and the female jellyfish um, releases its eggs, and they mix, they turn into a planula that attaches itself to a rock. Right. Okay? Yeah. So it skipped that stage and went straight back to, straight back to, uh, uh, a polyp attached to a rock. It settled to the bottom of the tank and turned to a polyp. Okay? Skipped the reproduction stage. Right. And he was astonished. He was amazed. And he called his professor and he said, here, look at this. And they had a look at it and they observed it again. And these weren't Turritopsis nutricula. They were Turritopsis dorni. And it's a species of jellyfish that is technically mortal right it's immortal because it skips the reproduction stage if it's stressed in the right way it will return to a polyp so it grows up and if you stress it in the right way it returns to polyp stage it doesn't okay. become sexually mature so it doesn't die and no right. you so see literally from it, from what i can gather is it, it ages is what you're saying so oh. it's like a butterfly regressing back to a caterpillar. A butterfly getting into a cocoon and turning back into a caterpillar. Caterpillar, <laughs> doing it all again, right? Right. He observed them more closely. When I say it was um, stressed, like a, a predator attack, mm. but even a simple pinch with a tweezer was triggered it? this wow. inverted commas regression, and it returned to a polyp stage, and it grow again. It's it's fucking astonishing. So, yeah. technically, the Turritopsis dorni, which is the one they had and not the one they'd wanted, but yeah. the one that they'd caught, is an immortal jellyfish. Yeah. 
Uh, theoretically. Its circle of life goes in both directions. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> the, the observation I mean, was so revolutionary and so surprising, they brought it to the Hydrozoan Society, and a professor, Volker Schmidt, said something along the lines of, nah, that's not, it's impossible, it's not going to work. And he wouldn't believe it. So he conducted his own tests on different specimens of the same species of jellyfish, Tortopsis dorney, and he got the exact same results. Wow. Right? So, theoretically, the Tortopsis dorney could have been around... For millions of years. For millions of years. It's highly unlikely. No way to age them, really. Well, well, they'd only been studying them since they found them in the 1980s. Right. So there's no way to corroborate, yes, that's what happened. This, this is a 65 million year old jellyfish. Mm. Now, jellyfish have been around in one form or another as they've evolved over the millennia. Yeah, yeah. Over millions of years, excuse me. Mm. They've been around for 500 million years yeah. in our oceans. But some of them the likelihood, be that old. yeah, the likelihood that something is that old is pretty slim. Yeah, it's really slim. I mean, there, there's been so many cataclysms and ice ages and yeah, I mean, ocean acidifications, and at one, yeah, well, at one yeah, stage yeah. there was too much algae in the oceans and that killed everything. And I'm not sure how many millions of years that go, and I'm not even sure if I'm accurate. Yeah, but. That's, I remember something about it. So it's highly unlikely, but yeah. there's no way that they can turn around and say that's absolutely impossible right. because they've only been studying them since in the 1980s. Well, in all likelihood, though, we are looking at something that's pretty old. I mean, even if we're not going back millennia or, you know, yeah, or well, years, we're the, talking like, you know. The life cycle of something is, it's if we just start from a fertilized egg, it's yeah. planula. It goes to polyp, which mm. means it attaches itself to rock. It's sessile, yeah. which just means attached to. Yeah. It's attached to a rock. From that, they pop off yeah. little jellyfish, little uh, medusas, mm. sexually mature medusas. They float off, and they if they, they don't get eaten by a predator, yeah. they grow and they feed, and then they reach. They grow into sexually mature medusas. Then they release eggs and sperm, and then they die. And the cycle has started again. Mm -hmm. But these ones aren't getting to a sexually mature stage. Because they're being if you stress, stress them, them yeah. and just return to polyp stage. So they skip that whole egg fertilization, die off point. Yeah. And they just turn, return into immature. Yeah. They return to polyps and then from there to immature. And technically they can do that over and over and over again. Yeah. There's a, Jap a Japanese <laughs> scientist, Shin Kubota, he conducted tests where he concentrated and watched these Tortopsis dorney cycle mm. through their life cycle. Mm. And at the sexually immature point, he'd stress them and they just kept returning to polyp stage and just kept doing that small cycle within a life cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's bizarre. Yeah. It's no, like that is that is fascinating. And I know like you did talk to me about this before we came to record and I was like okay I wasn't really getting it but now you know you, you've explained it really clearly I, I get it now is that kind of unique in the animal kingdom I, w I would imagine it must be I don't know many other species I don't know well we don't know I mean the, the lesson I, I was reading an article um, from the from the uh, Hydrozone Society that yeah. they'd released on the back of this, and the professor whose student had discovered this, and they had done further tests, yeah. and he was saying that the molecular mechanism in the lesson of Turritopsis dorney is profound. Yeah. So what it's, is it's unique that it's not? If scientists continue to explore uh, biodiversity, exceptional organisms will be discovered doing exceptional things. Yeah. And they yeah. can't say, okay, that's it. We've discovered everything. Because yeah. they haven't. No, come here. Listen, we know more about the outer solar system than we do about the bottom of the oceans. You know? So there so, you go. Like, it is the final frontier, you might say, is the underwater part of the planet. And it is two thirds of the planet's mass yeah. is, is covered in water. And, you know, so it's really fascinating. It's I'm going to go watch me some um, um, 
What's his name? Jacques Cousteau? Is that the guy that does the underwater documentary? Jacques Cousteau. He did them in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, um, but watch some David Attenborough Blue Planet. That's yeah, yeah. Mind-blowing yeah. stuff. Actually, I did watch some of that there recently. Well, not recently. Fair while ago now, but yeah. Do you know who actually done the soundtrack for Blue Planet? Who? Hans Zimmer. Did he? The guy you were saying you really liked it today. Oh, yeah. I love his stuff. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm more of a James Horror guy myself. I have to say, I really love James Horror. So. What's he done? Let's see. Perfect Storm, Titanic, The Rocketeer. Yeah, no, I know all those films and I... You haven't mentioned one I like. <laughs> <laughs> Field of Dreams. How are you not yeah. like Field of Dreams? Field of Dreams is brilliant. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Field it is. Um, uh, trying to think what else he's done. There's so many of his albums at home. He's done a couple of Star Treks. He's done Search for Spock. Yeah, I don't remember any of those soundtracks. Um, Hans Zimmer makes a movie. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. my Jesus. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's... Like, I... I talk to my students sometimes and they they initially at the beginning of the year they look at me like I have 10 heads because I'm just so into music and audio is so important to me. Audio is 51% of the film. Like it's scientifically proven that somebody will watch a movie that has a bad reception and excellent audio okay. over a movie with good reception and weak audio. I I totally get that. Have you seen the clip of Star Wars, the end scene, you know, in the throne room where they're getting the medals? Yeah, yeah. And they don't give Chewie a medal basket. There's a clip of that floating around on the internet with no audio. No yeah. sound. But he, all you can hear is the ambient sound yeah, from, yeah. from on set. Oh, it's so bad. I'd say it's terrible. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, going back to my students, uh, mm. I... I always talking to them about audio and I'm always talking to them about Foley audio. The Foley audio, like what you hear in the audio in the film. Yeah, it's the footsteps, the, yeah. the table taps, mm. the noise of the phone beeping in response to you touching it. You know, the haptic, the yeah. vibrations. You're not hearing what you're looking at. No. You're hearing somebody in a studio that's replicated yeah. those sounds. Yeah in good clean audio and put it into the film mm-hmm. like there's there's one i show them where uh, people someone's it's a documentary about alaska or something like that wild frontier you know the last alaskan yeah, on, on discovery channel or something like that there's a guy crunching about in the snow and he's got a pair of snowshoes on okay. and they're saying this is isn't him walking the noise you're hearing is not him walking and it cuts to the Foley audio that somebody held a camera phone up and recorded the guy making the audio, and he's watching the image on scene on screen. So they'll he's got snowshoes on, right? And he's watching the image on screen, and he's doing footfalls on cornstarch right. to the guy walking in the snow. And it sounds exactly the same. That's mad. It's metal. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen how they do Star Wars and stuff. I always go back to Star Wars. And- you know, like one of the most iconic sounds in Star Wars is yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know how that was done? No, it's right. You remember back in the like when you were growing up, we used to have kind of massive telegraph poles, and yeah. they would have steel cables anchoring them. Yeah, he's hitting a steel cable like that with a hammer. Is he? And recording it. Yeah, that's that is the. I have a slinky at home right. that my dad got me when I was. I think when I was fucking 18 or something like that, and I was like a fucking slinky. Jesus Christ. But it's brilliant for recording laser gun sound effects. Oh, okay. Because if you suspend it cleanly, like it's not touching anything. Yeah. But if you suspend it cleanly, so I had a thumbtack in the ceiling with a string tied to a string and then the slinky hanging down and it's hanging down its natural length yeah like it's not being sprung it's not being compressed it's not being stretched it's It's just hanging loosely and if you strike that with a metal object you get and what it is is the high frequency sounds Spiraling. Hammering down the, the length of the slinky and back up again yeah. and hitting the low frequency sounds. 
as a consultant. Yeah, oh, and creating yeah. the choo, choo, and it's mental. Now, it's such a good one. sound. Uh, do you know one of the most prolific and awarded Foley artists in Hollywood is actually a girl from the Midlands? Did you know Jack Foley was of Irish parents? Who's Jack Foley? Is the man that Foley oh, sound so, is. Yeah, so yeah. that's why it's called Foley. I yeah, always yeah. wondered that. Like, that's why, that's yeah. He's, um, there is a girl, I cannot think of her name. I'll look it up and I'll stick it on the Facebook underneath I, the podcast. It was like um, 19. Oh, wait, wait. 12, yeah. 20s. When they started having sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. he thought there has to be a better way to do this. Yeah, because you know And he did that. But if you if you Google him and look at a picture of him, he's bowler hat stogie sitting <laughs> yeah, out yeah. He is the iconic nineteen twenties person that you think yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, he's he's the uh, what did you call roadies? He's you know those Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's him, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um yeah, but no, I do find it fascinating, though, that, you know, an Irish person doing so successfully in Hollywood. Yeah. I think this girl's name is Rebecca I heard her interviewed on, on radio a number of years ago. She's a fascinating woman. Have you ever seen The Farthest? No. The Farthest is a documentary on Voyager 1 and 2 okay. that were launched in 77, 1977. And they, what that was directed by an Irish one. No way. I can't remember her name. Um, if by chance she ever hears, hears this, I apologise for not <laughs> yeah. remembering it. But and it's, it one, it's one of my favourite movies. It's mm. so good. And we'll it's go it's my go-to. It's now the imagine I think I have seen it. It's um, my go-to movie to watch. Just mm. to tune out. and You know, you'll watch movies that are yeah. just... Tune out and not pay not yeah, not I not pay that. attention, but leave your brain at the door. Yeah, this is my movie to go to and just not worry about the world. Yeah, and I'm just take too. myself away yeah. from it. It's fascinating. And the the kid on the record that's on the Voyager yeah. things is Carl Sagan. One of them is Carl Sagan's kid. No way. He went home to him when they were doing it when they decided we're going to record audio and we're going to print it on two gold records. Yeah, and he went home to his thirteen-year-old and he said, uh, "Do you want to record this?" And his kid said, "Yeah, okay." Awesome. And so it's hello from the children of planet Earth. Is Carl Sagan's kid? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. And that actually kind of leads me into something that I wanted to talk about there. Like. um, like Voyager would have been the pinnacle of 1970s technology at yeah. the time, you know. The world it left in the 70s to now is just such a like the technological advances that we've had in even that short period of time is just incredible. So, something happened the other day that got me thinking, right? So, I was standing at the bus stop just over here across the road, um, and there's a bus stop directly opposite the one I was standing at and bus pulls up and this old gentleman got off now he was he must have been in his 80s now very frail and you know and then the hand goes into the pocket and he pulls out an iPhone 7 and he's looking at the screen and he's taking away like you know like really confidently not like you know stereotypical old person struggling with the technology there one hand and typing away on the iPhone and then the hand goes into the other pocket and out comes a vape and I'm just standing there looking at him going that's yeah. That's that's the past and present. Yeah, no. Past and future <laughs> yeah. meeting in the present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like the future has arrived, like you know. So it got me thinking. You know, I used to love science fiction back in the day, right? Way back. Yeah, I mean, I still do love sci-fi. Don't get me wrong, but I was I read an awful lot of the classics back in the day, you know. And just you know, it just got me thinking. You know, stuff that was absolutely fantastical when it was written, you know, back then, that has become mundane, the, you know, um, so many things that we take for granted in our lives now were absolutely, like, I'm not going to say inconceivable because they were conceived by, yeah, yeah, yeah. by these sci-fi writers, but they were considered to be, like, madcap, you know? Um, like, something as simple as automatic doors, like that we take for granted every single day, walk into a supermarket, walk into a shopping centre. Yeah. 
Oh, you know what doors. really annoying me? Those automatic revolving doors. Oh God, they are. Jesus. Yeah. And it's printed. Molasses. And it's printed right there on the glass. Step away from the glass. Right? People get right on top of it and the box and the door stops. I've seen. I've, like I've only only seen the if the door stops. Do not push the glass. Yes, yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, but that's do the first, and I, I, I've done it. Yeah, no, it's first instinct. And right? I can't hold my hand up yeah. and say I've done it because the hand is pushing the glass. Yeah, but but get, I've done it. Yeah, but if you get close to that, though, yeah. that's what makes it stop. But it's infuriating. Oh, that's so annoying. So they're infuriating. So annoying. They wreck me out. Anyway, so the origin of the automatic door, right? It just got me thinking because I know um, Arthur Clark is. Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's often accredited with inventing the idea of the automatic door yeah, in 2001, yeah. where they walk up to doors in 2001. But in my research for this, I discovered that's not actually true. Did they not do that in Star Trek in the, the 60s? Yeah, I think 2001 came first. Okay. You know, I... I I'm completely open to correction there, um, but that was my understanding. I just remember watching a really fantastic documentary on the World Space Odyssey, and they talk about stuff that, you know, how Clark was a visionary and, you know, stuff like that, and automatic doors was definitely mentioned yeah. in that documentary, I, so... I thought they'd... I thought that Star Trek was before, like, the episodes, not well, the films, Star Trek was before... Was 1966. Okay, well, I, I don't know, have dates and of I know Star Trek. 2001 was definitely written before the moon landings. Okay. Because that's one of the major things in it. There's a moon base. Okay. In well, the moon landings... I actually yeah. watched a documentary on Apollo 11 last night. Oh, cool. And it was shown real footage of the moon landing. Yeah. And you mean sorry for Stanley Kubrick uh, produced fake footage of it? Um, are you I'm being just, conspiracy I, I absolutely okay, okay. guess We went to the moon, folks. Well, we and didn't. We didn't, personally, we didn't personally. We didn't personally go. We as a race, but, yeah. But when when the eagle, which is what the lander was yeah, called, the eagle's landed, um, yeah. left the spaceship and went down. They landed where they went to land was full of craters and boulders. Yeah. And they observed it and picked it from Earth. Yeah. And saying they overshot. That this way, and they overshot it. Yeah. But they landed with fourteen seconds of fuel. Fuel left. Yeah. Yeah. And and they like you could in the in the footage, oh, yeah, like, in the footage they showed you could see the clock you know the in the film you'll see the red light yeah. flashing and the yeah. clock winding down the seconds yeah. spinning past yeah. exactly the same yeah it and, was exactly and the NASA same. wanted yeah. Armstrong to to abort yeah they were telling him to abort well yeah if he'd if he'd gone over his the fuel that was allocated for the landing, yeah. they wouldn't have been able to launch. Yeah, yeah. They, and they wouldn't have met up with the, the orbiting yeah. capsule. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'd love to have gone to the moon, though. Yeah. See, and there's another thing, and I know it's controversial now, you know, with the whole kind of commercialization of space travel and stuff. That's something we're going to actually talk about. Yeah, sorry um, for dragging you away. No, so, no, no, go back, go back. No, I like where this is going. No, I like where this is going, right? So, I'm going to keep going with it, and then we'll go back, right? The commercialization of space travel, right? The you know that guy. I don't want to name any names here, but you know that guy that nobody likes, who's spending lots of money going to space and stuff. Okay. Um, I there's loads of them. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. There's a few of them. There's yeah. there's three I can think <laughs> right, that I don't right. like. So yeah. take your pick. Right. Well, I don't like this guy, but 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 I missed out on the moon landings by about nine years. Right, I'm too young. I was nine. The moon landings happened nine years before I was born, right? I want to see, I want to see people walk on the moon. I just, you know, yeah. I want to see that. I want to experience that so much. I'm, I'm a massive space buff. Uh, yeah, do it. Just go back to the moon. I want Let's to go, go to Mars. Oh, good, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not talking about humanity. Go to Mars. I want to go <laughs> yeah, to Mars. Yeah, oh. I'd love to go to Mars. We if talk, someone we talked about this on the radio a number of years ago, then it didn't go well. If, if someone said to me tomorrow, "Do you want to train and go to Mars in a year?" I, mm. I'm in. I'm all in. Unfortunately, Dell, you're the wrong gender. I know. Have you seen that thing? Yeah, yeah. where the yeah. <laughs> science says that the, the crew should be entirely made up of women. I'm gonna admit right now, I didn't read the article. I only read the headline. I don't know what the science Who behind. Who wrote the headline? I. 
just seen it on Facebook. Yeah, no it's, idea. yeah. If it's on Facebook, pay no, no attention. No, it, it was from some scientific journal or yeah. whatever, and they're saying that there's you know solid science behind the reason that it should be all female. I don't know what scientists haven't read it. We'll read it and find out. Uh, so that might be something we come back to in a few yeah. episodes. But anyway, right to drag this back to where it was going, right? Doors. So, yes, doors. Yeah, yeah. Automatic doors, right? So as I said, Arthur C. Clarke is widely considered to have come up with the. The theory of it. It may not have been in 2001. He was writing sci-fi back in the 50s, so it may have even been that. But in researching this, and you already knew this, and you kind of pointed me towards it without telling me. <laughs> yeah, Guess not... who invented automatic doors, Dale? The Greeks. The ancient bloody Greeks, again. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of serendipity, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, using pulleys and ropes and boiling water to, I don't know how they actually managed to. I to assume it. it was steam. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, or, but or, what was the trigger like that you walk up to the door and it was like, I haven't a clue. God knows. Haven't a clue. Well, Maybe anyway. you go and you yank on a thing and it yeah, pulls yeah, and yeah, ropes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, then it's automatic. You're still doing something, you know. But anyway, right, the first truly automatic door where the person going through the door has no active role in opening the doors was in 1931, Raymond and Roby invented a automatic door in a restaurant so waiters could Walking yeah, yeah, it wasn't trays. it wasn't a people thing. It yeah. was a functional thing yeah. for waiters and and yeah. all these guys walking so with plates and cups and yeah. food and all that yeah. shit. So that yeah, was yeah. in 1931. 1954 saw the advent of the undermash actuator, which is basically a sensor that was hidden under the door mat, so you'd walk on that and that would open the door for you. And then in the 70s, the optical sensor came around and and we had those. Right, but anyway, right, so. So that all got me thinking, like, you know, what other stuff do we take for granted or that we're on the cusp of of having now that when it was talked about in science fiction seemed absolutely fantastical. So self-driving cars. No, I know Which we're we have not. Now. Well we're you know they're in production, they, 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 they tend to run been, over people. Yeah, but, they haven't yeah. been perfected. Um, and you know how they're trying to actually train those? No. Do you know if you're online and you download something and it says proven or over? Yeah. And it brings up five or six pictures and it says click all the pictures with bridges. Yeah. Or click all the pictures with traffic lights traffic or whatever. Lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Click all the bikes. Bikes. When you're doing that, you are training Google's self driving car AI. That's nuts. That's what it's used for. That's it. So you, yeah, yeah. So you're getting this free thing downloaded or whatever it is. And as they always say on the internet, if something is free, you are the product. Yeah. You're the product if you're getting it for free. That's exactly what those are for. They are training Google's self-driving car AI, and you're not getting paid for it. You're doing it in return for your free audiobook or whatever it is that you're getting. Right, so that's the first mention of self-driving cars that I can remember is from Isaac Asimov's Robot series. Yeah, like I can see. 50s. I can see the artwork. Yeah, I love and I can't. Yeah, I can't see the the name of the guy that did the artwork. It was oh, really good. Not though. sure. Um, Damn, I used to love it. Uh, wasn't Ralph McQuarrie? Was it? No, it's God, no. no, no. McQuarrie. He worked with Tom Cruise. Did he? Yeah, he does the Mission Impossible's. No, I mean the artist from Star Wars, the guy who's done all the Ralph McQuarrie. Art. Yeah, he done all the. Maybe they're named the same, but there's a Ralph McQuarrie. Maybe it's his kid. I'm going to come back to Mission Impossible now in a minute, because I just see something fascinating yesterday. That ties in with what we're talking about here. Uh, Right, so you have self-driving cars. Isaac Asimov's robot series in the 50s had self-driving cars. That's my first recollection, and there may even be earlier examples. And as I said, we're about to hit that now. With you know, yeah. with the help of everybody downloading their stuff and clicking the <laughs> clicking the photographs with traffic lights in them, yeah, that's how they're training the AI. So that's something that's around the corner, right? Flat screen TVs. This one I did research and I do know the first mention of a wall-mounted flat screen TV in science fiction is in Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit four five one. Wow. From nineteen fifty three. Wow. I remember. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid. It was like. It predates MTV Cribs and all that kind of crack. Oh. But went into a celebrity's house with cameras. I didn't, but I watched this program that did. Okay. And they had a big. Trinity they had no. no, no. What the fuck off? 
I had had this big TV on a wall and it was a flat screen. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, wow, it's a flat screen TV. And they went into the annex room to show us something else. And the rest of the TV was sticking out the back of the wall. It was a big, a big CRT, a big cathode ray tube TV, a horrible thing. Set into the wall. (laughs) Yeah, they just set it in and fuck the other room. Doesn't matter. Right. And I know somebody who's quite wealthy, shall we say. I'm not going to mention any any names at all here. Um, I know someone quite well who's quite wealthy and they have the most awesome fucking thing in the world. I love this thing, right? They're... Their flat screen TV in their bedroom yeah. is on a roller that rolls through the floor into the sitting room. <laughs> that's that's not that. that's not good. I, I don't like the idea that. that. No, fuck off. That <laughs> that do my head in. Tripping out. What's this shit in the floor? Oh, it's the tracks for the TV. No, 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 no. It's it's literally set into the wall. It's like the tracks are in the wall. They go straight and they go straight through the floor. If they're rich, can they not afford a TV for both terms? Uh, I, yeah, I, I would imagine they absolutely can. I, I, I prefer so the cool. idea of of the TV coming up at, at the end of the bed. Oh, see, and yeah, remember those in the 70s? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah like that's the, fantastic. You know, that was peak that's technology, what I want, yeah. you know? But, uh, yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to keep going with this anyway. Right Now, the obvious one, and we've already mentioned Star Trek, Mobile communications devices, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've all got one of those now. But the other thing from Star Trek, right, three major technologies. Pointy ears? No, come on, technologies. Come on, three famous technologies that Star Trek has. has The mobile... The tricorders. Okay, four, 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 (laughs) Okay, why don't you just tell me are we going to be here all day? Come on. Mobile communication devices, transporter beams. Okay. Okay, We're not there yet. No. We haven't got transporter beams. I was actually reading up on that the other day. Okay. But but I'll talk to you. We'll go there in a minute, yeah. yeah. Food replicators. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They walk up to a hatch in the wall, they say, you know, fucking lobster allogram and out comes the lobster allogram, yeah. We're nearly there now. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in. I was on Dame Street in the early two thousands, and there was a hatch. There was there was a wall of kind of. It was like pigeonhole. You know, you go into a staff room in a school or something, and there's yeah. pigeonholes oh, for yeah, all the teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's ten by ten, say. Yeah. That, that's a hundred teachers. No, it's it's yeah, I know five, what you're five by ten or whatever. It yeah. Is. And um, it's all located in the corner of a room, and everybody goes there to get their mail or get their notes or get yeah. their equipment, yeah. or whatever. But this was a shop that sold burgers and salads and sandwiches and all that kind of crap. Yeah, and they were all little kind of hatches. And they were little kind of hatches, and you go over and you put your money in. Yeah. And the s- slides across and you take out your food yeah and then yeah, when someone on. inside sees it empty they pop something else yeah. in that, yeah. that, it's obviously labeled what goes in where and how much it costs yeah but one of my friends said i'm gonna pop in here for a burger and i was looking at me watching going we're gonna be fucking late man he goes no no i'll just buy it here so he bought one Mm-hmm. But there was no going in and ordering, and no, yeah, how's it going? Could I yeah. have a quarter pounder, please, or yeah. a tuna sandwich, or whatever it was? It was inverted commas automated. Yeah. It was all separated. Yeah, yeah. We had one. I worked in Dunn's when the shopping centre first opened, and that was our canteen. That's it was not, the same thing, I, yeah. I yeah. hate the idea. And, and when I when I ring up customer service for whatever thing else, it doesn't matter what the food is like. But when I even when I ring up customer service and I'm talking to an automated voice, they they don't solve your problem. No. Like if anything, they amplify it. It's basically They a, certainly amplify your rage. Yeah, and it's it's basically recorded FAQs. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely... Oh, yeah, no, I don't like it at all. Um, right. But anyway, you dragged me way away from where I was going there. Right? Sorry, so Dave. food replicators. And I said, we're almost there, Dad. And you looked at me like I was insane. Okay, in Star Trek, it's done on a molecular level. So yeah. it's the same, actually. It's actually the same technology that they use for the transporter beams. Mm-hmm. They're using to create food on a molecular level. We're not nearly there with that one, Dad. No. But we have got... There's a company in Israel I've, I've discovered recently who are 3D printing vegetable-based steaks. 
I wouldn't mind trying one of them. Yeah, no, come here. I was looking at it, right? And it's it's not one of your, like, you know, if you're into modeling or any of that kind of stuff, and the you know, really fine, detailed 3D print. And it's not, it's like a cake nozzle. Right? Oh, okay. Um, icing. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like an icing nozzle, right? It's about that thick. And out comes this, like, neat colored sludge that's completely plant based. It looks like a pound of mints. Yeah, I was about right. to say, it, As it sounds like mince to me. Yeah. I don't think I'd like to right. try one of them. No, no, right here. It then goes through this kind of compressor, right? You know, yeah. Big, you know, fucking steel, yeah. boom, pneumatic press, you know? Yeah. And it blends it all together and it looks like a slab of beef. It's incredible. And then they fry it up. And it, it looked out, I have no idea what it tastes like. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the texture. It looks like. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating going out and eating steaks or anything like that. No. Well, but, and, and if you're vegan or vegetarian, absolutely go for it. But yeah. that sounds to me more processed. Yeah. Because, like, the steak you're eating is muscle fiber. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's very complicated. It doesn't sound like that's being replicated there at all. No. It looks like it's been, it's a mint patty. It, it looks like, it's a vegetable patty. it sounds to me, it has like the texture of a burger. Possibly, yeah, yeah, probably would. It's essentially what it looks like, or like, you know Billy Roll? The, no. you never seen Billy Roll? No. The meat you had as a child with the face on it? Oh, Jesus Christ, my man like, never get me that. Processed of the face. Disgusting. But that's what, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a facsimile of steak like you've right, got okay. red stuff printed out and then you've bits of white stuff printed yeah. out and you know to build up that kind of facsimile that now, it looks like a steak I've I've no doubt that that's the way to go because yeah. I oh, think definitely. I think apart from the whole meat industry being incredibly cruel yeah uh, it's unsustainable environmentally. Yeah. I mean, we've it's already made a fucking agree. mess of the planet. Yeah, we are killing the planet. Yeah, let's be honest. So, and uh, come here, I'm, I'm not vegan. I'm not, not vegetarian. I nope. love me meat, I have to be honest. It's so delightful. But I am conscious that it's a fucking horrible industry. I'm not. Yeah. Right? I've cut down it's, my consumption of meat yeah, uh, no, an awful lot. I 90, try, 90, I 90%. Try. Um, it's not easy to do on a budget either. No. You know, kind of, you know. All this kind of plant-based stuff and quite—it is expensive stuff. And, and we're in the middle of a bloody cost of living crisis. But I think yes, you know, something like this company in Israel costs a great prices. Yes, price crisis. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's call it what it is—a yeah. cost of great prices crisis. <laughs> cost of great prices. Well, there's that too. Yes, yeah. that's what we're paying. Um, but yeah, no, you know, of all these technological advances that I've mentioned here, I think this one is potentially the most kind of greater good one that's going to actually what you know, this the, the, the plant-based steak yeah yeah, like yeah it, absolutely you know. but but what Ooh, they what they have to do stuff. what they have to do is make it sustainable yeah not make it sustainable but make it economically viable Mm. It it needs to be cheaper it yeah. needs to be more accessible yeah. it needs to be more universally used than it, it needs to be a better option than going out and spending I don't know a tenner on steaks a, or or two fifty for mm. a steak or whatever it is you spend yeah it needs to be better than that and at this point it isn't that no no but this is very much in its infancy yeah. you know it's mm. it's literally one company from yeah. what I can see there's one company in the world doing it in this way you yeah. know actually treating yeah. print and there needs to be more uh, absolutely and you know if the demand is there I'm sure the supply well, will be well, far behind I, ha I haven't tasted one because yes, I, 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 have I haven't even tried a plant based whopper yet I'm no I was about to say and that's where I was going to go yeah. to because I have um Gluten intolerance. That's right. I yeah. don't. I can't eat whoppers. But right. there is a plant-based whopper that is meant to be really good. I've heard people say they're really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, ten euro, and I don't want to gamble. There you go. That's I what I mean. I don't want to gamble on a ten euro whopper. I, take one I don't. Bite and go. Oh my god! I, just, I, I don't care that. about 
gambling mm. on a 10 euro whopper. I don't want to pay 10 euro for a fucking whopper. No, yeah, I don't want to pay yeah. 10 euro for a steak. Yeah. I don't want to pay I know, 10 but euro if I'm for a big and I'm going to spend it, you know, 10 euro. I'm going to spend it on something that I know, that I'm familiar with, and that I know is going to be relatively yeah. edible. Yeah. When I get it. Whereas I, te- I spend a 10 or a plant-based one and it's vile, I, I think, I'm not going to... You risky. know what? It's uh, They're not going to be vile because they're not going to hedge their bets on something that tastes mediocre. Mm. Well, there is that. And then there's the, you know, just just pandering to the growing vegan market. You know? I don't think that's what they're doing either. I remember getting a veggie burger. Like, I remember when? When? Oh, years ago. There you McDonald's go. McDonald's used your to answer. veggie burgers. That's your answer. And I remember trying one. And it was basically peas and carrots and batter. It was disgusting. That's years ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's been leaps and bounds in. Um, I know, but that's the memory yeah. of that is just putting me off, you know. Anyway, right, to go move on slightly from this, right? And I was saying to you earlier, commercialised space exploration. Yeah. And something that I, I do genuinely support. And I get the arguments against it. The, as we said, the planet's dying. The cost of living is through the bloody roof. And we're spending billions on, you know, sending people to. Mars or the moon or whatever and there's actually probably no reason to send people on these missions at all other than you know to say they did it which I'm all for I'm just going to call a spade a spade here I'm all for it it's humanity if we can do it fucking do it that's right that's that's my my take on it it's just romanticism it is it's yeah. just literally romanticism with me Dale. I, I want to see people walk on other planets just, yes. you know I love the Mars rover and uh, you know the photographs that send them back in the videos it's awesome right? I watched it's great I watched watch. the latest Perseverance yeah I watched the landing on Mars I watched yeah. the first flight of the little drone copter yeah, yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, they've got yeah, I, no, I've done yeah, it I've watched it loads of it I've amazed by this shit but it's not the same as boots on the ground it's no I, w- I want my boots on the ground yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure I'm there I, I, I do remember am. a time when we done the radio show where I was all for that I'm a dad and a granddad now yeah, you no, know I go, <laughs> things I go change tomorrow. a bit you know anyway um, right so commercialised space exploration so I've just covered all the negativities you know and all that but there are massive massive positives right around commercialized space exploration. 2020, NASA landed a ship called Ship T on an asteroid, right? Yeah, I remember that. And that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool to do that, but it's not just pretty cool there. And we're going back to, you know, how science fiction predicted stuff and all. Ben Bova in the 80s wrote a series called The Grand Tour of the Solar System. It's like a 20 book series. But one trilogy within that series is The Rock Wars, where Earth is basically mining the Kuiper Belt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For minerals, for oil, for all sorts of things that, that are in those asteroids. Well, oil's there. not in there. So it'll have oil course. Well, no, yeah, I it can't have yeah, oil. Yeah, sorry, no, oil yeah, no, it's it's, it's got to be yeah. ores and minerals. <laughs> yes, yes. Oil oil. organic, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> alien dinosaurs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, so yeah, minerals. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, the Kuiper Belt's full of. Yeah, you know. Well, they, they you know, it's so all leftovers from the building of the solar system. Raping. Yeah. Our own planet. And oh, that's not going to stop. Well, if, if and I'm, I'm not talking next week or next month or 10 years from now, but eventually, eventually, and hopefully before we fuck the planet beyond repair, it will happen that we start to mine asteroids because there's more minerals in that asteroid belt than there is on the planet, you know? And there's no need, if we can get out there and start to cost-effectively, safely, mine those asteroids there'll be no need to dig a hole any you know any mining at all now and I, I know again that look what happened when Maggie Tartar closed down the mines in Britain whole communities were decimated you know jobs were lost stuff like that we need now to start moving away from industry this is just my opinion moving away from industries on this planet that are Destroying the planet. Destroying the planet. Yeah, no, I I agree. But before all of that, we need to stop 
fighting each other for resources. Yeah. And there needs not to be a race to get out there into the Kuiper Belt or whatever it is and mine whatever it is Mm -hmm. to make yourself better than the next race that didn't get there first. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the whole competitiveness of it and, and all. But listen, competition always drives yeah, innovation. It yeah. does that. But it's just com- competition needs to drive innovation without destroying another culture. Look at the Africans aren't going to be the ones that win that space race. No, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, the Indians have their own space race program, but they're still going to have problems with the likes of the Western Hemispheres and the, the yeah, superpowers. The, economically, they can't compete. Well, you know, so mm. I think... Yeah, I mean, ideally... I think, I think aiming for mining on asteroids isn't the first thing that needs to be accomplished no. before that is gone and done. Like, a lot has to be accomplished before yeah. we even get there. I, th- I think as a race, you yeah. need to be better. As a species, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you, Dale. But in the reality of it, you know, we are a competitive species, and that's... Competition's good. Yeah, we are competitive because from, from the time we crawled out of our caves, we have been competing for resources, you know? That's what it's... I mean, at the end of the day, that's what... Every, that's, that's my point. Every war has been about is competing for the resources. So if there is not unlimited but massive, massive resources out there, we should be as a species working together to do everything we can to get out and get those resources so that we don't have to compete for resources in our own back garden anymore. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Given and I mean, there's no moral or you know um, ambiguity with mining asteroids there's nothing alive on those asteroids they don't that's all I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking no, but about it's the, yeah. but you see that's the thing they will belong to someone yes that's exactly. the problem yeah and that's it that's yeah. my problem and then it becomes you know yeah exactly and the indigenous the tribes in South America they're not going to be mining on asteroids <laughs> no, no and I'm not denigrating no no I know tribes. what you're saying yeah, yeah you know they're the ones that have been capitalist societies are saying let them save the fucking planet yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, and there, and like, I don't want to get all political on this. Delicate. There's, there's a film called Elysium. Have you ever seen it? I have. That pissed me off so much. Matt Damon, isn't it? Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a great movie, but it pissed me off so much because the the wealthy and the high achievers fucked up a planet and left it behind and lived in orbit. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfuckers. And that's, there you go again, that's kind of science fiction. Yeah. And I can absolutely see that happening. Absolutely see that happening. And that's a trope that runs through science fiction from, like, right back to the 50s. Yeah. Of, you know, the elite society just getting off the world and saying, like, fucking, we fucked that up. Yeah. Let's but that's, that's it. We'll... Even you, Wally. You throw a Wally. Yeah. And all the fat yeah. fuckers are in orbit. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. But, but, uh, there's, um... Mm. What was the name of the ship they were on? In Wally? Yeah. <sighs> The paradise or something? Nope. No, it was something on them, right? Nope. Utopia? Nope. No, go on. The axiom. Axiom, right, go on. The axiom is the, the peak, the zenith. And yeah. the, the nadir is... Yeah. is yeah. Very good, very good. Yeah, yes, I, I always remember that. But they yeah, they, they all had... Yeah, um, absolutely. Apart from having bone atrophy, which... which mm. And they weren't living in zero gravity, but zero gravity gives you... It does. Um, and muscle. And muscle atrophy. Yeah. They were fat fuckers. Yeah. They weren't, you know, yeah. just physically fat. Yeah. Their bank accounts were fat. Yeah. Their egos were fat. It was, you know, that... But there was, was just a, a metaphor. They, they watched screens all day. Yeah. They were the pigs and I'm yeah, fat. Yeah. You know, that's... They watched screens they all day and yeah. saw nothing around them. And that's yeah. what's going on. That's, that's where we're at, you know, yeah. as a society. And that leads me nicely into the next example. Which is? Right, now, I'm a massive fan of 2088 the comic. I still subscribe. Yeah, yeah, I used to. It's my I one don't little, subscribe anymore, but I used to read it. It's my one little nerdy, yeah. geeky thing that I got from my childhood. You've right? got more than one, so no, no, but like when I talk about actually physically paying for, you know, something, I still get my 2088 comic every week. I, I, I don't read a lot of comics. 
ideally 2008. But anyway, one of the things that they've had since 1977, since the beginning, was flying cameras. You know, cameras that, you know, they used on, um, like news reporters are going around and they've got Lord flying behind them, that's, that's their camera. The Justice Department used them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, as spy kind of CCTV, basically, are these drones that fly around everywhere. Watching the Boston Celtics last night, and sorry, not last night, the other night, I love my basketball, and they tried something for the first time in NBA history, a drone camera. Did it work? Yeah. Was it in an indoor good. arena? Yeah. Wow. And it's it flies basically a meter or two above where the highest point at the ball might yeah, yeah. might go, and it follows the play. And now the pitch that was pretty grainy. I've seen a lot of fans actually on the on the various groups giving out about it. It's not skilled. The fucking the, the logic or the lack of. To, to give out about it. These yeah. fucking drones or, or or when you're and and I'm sure a comedian has covered it, when you're on an airplane and the Wi Fi is not working for you and you go, fucking Wi Fi? You're in a fucking airplane. Well, you know, Jesus Christ, yeah, man. But no, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like it was it's close to being there. Like I mean, picture wise um, it's like the oh, what's it called? You know, the bloody motion smoothing on your telly. Oh, I don't like that. No, at all. I don't. But it gives it a more realistic look. Yeah, no, I don't like that. And I don't yeah. like that when they do but that with movies. Vibe. Yeah, because yeah. movies are, are yeah, are they colored. They've got they're color balanced. Yeah, they you know when they're shot in, there's usually it's a sixty thirty ten mm. color scheme I, that they use. Yeah, I have no it's, idea it's, what that means, but I'll take your it, word. It's really good. But <laughs> they, a videographer my trade, so I'll take yeah. your word for it. Now you see, now you're getting on dangerous ground but, here, but you are the expert on this one. There's a, the there's the that setting on the these new TVs yeah. that makes it look like a fucking soap opera yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they call I, it the soap opera effect. I hate when that. I got my my first kind of big plasma or not plasma LCD yeah. flat screen telly that's everything looked really weird and I watched Empire Strikes Back on it right it's and, like watching Neighbours right and, yeah and the scene where you know Vader I am your father yeah you could see that that you know thing big huge yeah 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 it was a cardboard yeah so I was like what's fucking wrong with this? what's wrong with this DVD, what, what the hell is this? And then I, I, I got the phone out, and there's another thing that we're talking about in a minute. I got the phone out and I Googled it, and immediately realized, oh, it's setting on the telly, and you can turn it off. Oh, okay. And it was, yeah, it was pretty motion smooth, and you, you turn I, it off. I and don't like there, it at all. That was the Emperor Strikes Back that I was used to watching again. I, there's certainly, I love watching sports with it on, because it does. I can see how that it works. It feels like you're there. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, you know, it's more like what I see in the stand in Daily Mount Park. Yeah. It just has that more realistic feel to it. But I but don't want movies, it. I don't want that in my movies because you know, movies in, are escapism. Yeah, and movies, it looks like if you've ever seen an on uh, behind the scenes documentary where they show footage of a scene being acted out. Yeah. That's what it looks like. No. It doesn't look like a movie. It looks like footage of a movie. That's it's, it's so it's weird. Horrible. Yeah. Anyway, and that leads me into um, my next one as well. And just talking about drones, I was watching a trailer for Dune 2 the other day on YouTube and I had, you know, uh, what's that setting on YouTube that just automatically shows you the next video? Um, it's the automatically show me the next video yeah, setting. They have a name for yeah, it. Yeah. And the next one up just happened to be a, it's a trailer, but it's a behind the scenes, which is the new trend now in Hollywood, for the new Mission Impossible movie, right? And I gotta say, look, say what you want about Tom Cruise or whatever, right? He's a brave or stupid son of a bitch. Oh no, he's like, brilliant. He he's brilliant. I'm not into. I, I I know what you mean with the whole Scientology yeah, thing, no, and no, that's no, his business. Yeah. And I don't care if that's what you like. Once yeah. you don't interfere with anybody yeah. else, but he, does but have stunts. he is mental. Yeah. He's brilliant with his stunts. Yeah, right. And anyway. just to make an obs yeah. are incredible. Right. Well, the one that they've set up for this new Mission Impossible movie, I'll well, encourage everyone to go have a look at this on YouTube. Right, I am in awe. Of this guy, right? They're doing a stunt, right? That makes anything James Bond stunt just look like, you know, amateur at all, right? He rides a motorbike off a 800 foot cliff using a massive ramp. 
and goes straight into a base jump. So it jumps off the point and parachutes down to safety. Right? The amount of training that it has gone into him doing this, right? He's had to learn like several skills, how to accurately drive the bike on a ramp. Yeah. You know, to absolutely hit his marks, you know. But and the reason I'm going into this now is flying cameras. They've developed a drone, and this is not like a little drone there. This is a full movie camera on a massive, massive drone, right? But it uses a sensor technology in Tom Cruise's costume. Yeah. That keeps the drone at a constant distance from him and keeps the camera on him. That's nuts. So as he goes up yeah. that ramp and jumps, that, that drone is moving yeah. with him. Now, I have to say, my brother has a drone that responds to a, a watch kind of thing. It's yeah. not a watch on his wrist, but you strap it on like a watch and it'll follow that. And yeah, that's basically what this drone is doing. Yeah, that's so he's. So it yeah. keeps it safely at a safe distance. To yeah, the, the proper being difference, yeah. literally on top of him. You know what I mean? It's, it's there with him the whole way for that stunt, and the footage they got was just. Yeah unbelievable so yeah so that, I and mean, that comes direct in 2018 you know wow. with their flying cameras now I'm sure there's other instances of flying, flying cameras but yeah. that was the one that immediately yeah. jumped out to me so yeah so they're the things that um, when I first discovered them in my youth or whatever it seemed like absolutely you know batshit mad space age stuff and now here I am in my middle age yeah um, no you're not middle aged you're older than that I'm 44, I'm middle-aged. That's not middle-aged. Okay, well, whatever 40 I something am. is middle-aged. I don't know, what am I, what am I? I'm a Gen Xer, yeah, right? And um, here we are, and it's much of it is commonplace, and I can only imagine... Yeah, where we're going to be in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's you nuts. Know, so, it's nuts. Yeah, so there's one Before to think Before we about. go, I yeah. want to say, you were talking about Ralph McQuarrie earlier, yeah. and I was saying, it's a McQuarrie, yeah. Tom Cruise thing. Yeah. Christopher McQuarrie ah, is the guy yes. that works with Tom Cruise. Yeah, so yeah, 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 I was wrong there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah now Ralph is the, he was concept artist. Yeah, I remember. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I remember. Fantastic, beautiful artist, beautiful artist. Anyway, and just also before we go, because we keep forgetting to do it every week now, I want to say massive thank to Jade and the staff of the Resource Centre in Cardiff where we record this every week. They're brilliant and I know they listen, so fair play to you guys and thanks ever so thanks much. Thanks very much. And thanks for listening. See you next time.